Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Froke, and I'm here with my co-host, Mark Casaglow. And today we have Sean Gentry. He is an outstanding sales leader over at Webflow, one of the best episodes we've ever had on hands-on coaching with reps. Mark, why should people listen? I've worked with Sean before. Sean is the kind of manager that you send good performers to to be great, and you send okay performers to to be good. And I think in this episode, you'll see exactly why he's that kind of a up-level your rep type of leader. He has a defined way of doing things, and he has done it enough that he can explain it because he actually does it. He's an operator. He's doing this stuff. He's not just a talking head about it. Boom. And a three, two, one. Let's roll. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. All right, Sean, welcome to the show. We start every leadership show with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. All right, so number one is gonna be working backwards to diagnose issues. So, so often new managers fall into the quote unquote, do more trap, right? They're telling the reps to make more calls, sell more deals, close those deals faster. But reps and managers really need to learn what's causing that behavior and the actions behind it. So I would start with the result that you want to influence, let's say that's closing percentage, and then work backwards through a checklist 
to find the root of the issue and make small tweaks to influence that outcome. So for example, if you find out that one of your reps really is struggling with conversion rate, right? They need to increase that. It's not going to happen overnight. So you have to find the things that are influencing that. And let's say you pinpoint that it's setting next steps. That's the point there that you have to work on simply setting next steps and see that improve week over week to eventually influence closing percentage. All right. The next step is number two. Yeah. So once you find that issue, so let's say it's setting next step, we'll stay on that. Issue number two is really creating a repeatable coaching process. So people crave process. They want to know the guide rails of their job. And once you find a specific issue to coach on, you're going to create a repeatable framework with that rep. So this includes finding that issue. Let's say it's setting next steps. You want to align on it with your rep and make sure you're both bought into that being the key thing to change. You obviously have to document it in a shared doc so that you know that's the thing you're focused on and then plan that action together. So you say, hey, you've got a call coming up in two days. Let's book the last 10 minutes of that to set next steps. Let's role play through it a couple of times. And then the key here is to automate the follow-up. So as a manager, I would go through and delay a Slack message or delay an email to hit their inbox five minutes after that call completes to follow up on whether they set next steps or not. All right, Ishan, what's number three? So number three is eliminating the micromanage, right? I don't think I've ever met a rep or a manager who says they love to be micromanaged. It's usually the exact opposite. So how you get away with this is that you proactively communicate everything that you're doing. So every single Friday, I create a framework document that my reps send to me to keep me informed of what's happening with their business. So this includes their revenue, how they're pacing, what they have in their pipeline, what's going well in their business, what's maybe not going well in their business, what they're focused on for the following week. And the bonus hack here is that once I've compiled all that, I actually send the exact same framework document out to my leader so they stay in tune with what I'm working on week over week. Well, we have another great sales leader who's, if you boil down the theme, it comes down to coaching. And coaching, I think, is like one of these great unlocks. So, Sean, let's dig into coaching a little bit more. If you're looking at a rep or looking at a team or, you know, I know you've had teams underneath you too. How do you identify what to coach on? Do you have like a series of, hey, here's the punch list. Make sure you're looking at this. Are you self-diagnosing for each individual rep? Like the what to coach on question is a seminal question that most sales leaders don't take time to answer. So how do you know what to coach on? Normally, when you're looking at your rep that's struggling, right, not hitting quota, it's going to come down to, I think, one of three major factors. One is simply going to be conversion rate. They're just not closing enough deals that they have in their pipeline. The second thing is going to be ACV or contract value. Sometimes, let's say they are closing the right amount, but they're just lower end deals and they're not able to hit to their quota. And then the third thing falls under sales cycle, right? So they close enough deals, maybe they're a little bit smaller, but they're just not simply closing enough. Uh, out of their pipeline and quickly enough to fall within that quota period. So once you land on an end result, most managers stop there and they say, hey, you know, Bob or Shirley, you have to increase your close rate, but they don't know what's actually influencing that. And so what's really been helpful for me is I have built out a checklist of all the things that go into, let's say, a closing percentage. And this starts with really separating a day-to-day of a rep into two major areas. One is going to be everything they say on the phone with their customer or prospect. The second is going to be everything that they do off the phone, right? So that's sending follow-up emails, organizing their pipeline, keeping their pipeline up to date, 
multi-threading through their business or the org. And so once you separate it to, hey, are they saying the right things on the phone to the right people? Or are they struggling with things that they're doing off the phone? You then can work back through another checklist to find that small issue, right? So let's say, Mark, you know, it comes down to conversion rate. And we found out that Tom on my team is just simply not setting next steps. He's talking to the right people, talking to the right companies. He knows their why. But by the time we get to next steps, he's letting the ball, you know, land in their court every single time, which leads to ghosting or, you know, him chasing deals and therefore his conversion rate suffering. So we can make those tiny tweaks, set actionable coaching to just that one small instance. Hey, Tom, the last 10 minutes of the call, you got to set next steps. And that's the big thing for you to focus on right now. And you make those small changes that are going to lead to the end result. Yeah. Telling people to do stuff and getting them to do it is two totally different things. So you tell Tom, hey, you're going to go do this. How are you making sure that he actually does it? Because you have eight, 10 other reps. If you have multiple teams, 20, 30 other reps, like you can't keep your thumb on Tom all day. Yeah. So I, I view coaching the same way I view selling, right? So when I was a rep, you're not going to sell your product until your persona, or your point of contact wants it. They have to be bought in. They have to want to go on the journey with you to get that thing sold. They got to sell it internally. And I view coaching the exact same way. When you're working with a rep, if they're not bought in, if they don't want to see the change, they're going to resist you. They're going to dig their heels in the sand. So I think as a manager, once you're able to pinpoint, hey, I've, I've listened to enough gong calls. I've seen that Tom is not setting next steps on these. It's finding what that issue is. But then the first way I would approach it is asking Tom. I'd say, hey, Tom, like, we know that conversion rate is below the average right now. We know that's the main area we're struggling with. Why do you think that is? Because I'm curious to hear their opinion. Sometimes as a manager, I get surprised. They may say, oh, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z, and it's something that I hadn't pinpointed. Mm. But if we're not able to come to that conclusion, that's where I bring it up and say, hey, I've listened to the last four or five gone calls. It seems like we're struggling with next steps. Would you agree that's an issue? And I need them to buy into hey, this is the thing we're going to try to solve together, just like a sales cycle. And then once we're aligned, it's documentation and follow-up. But to your point, like if you can't align with your reps on what they need to be coached on, you're going to be shouting into a void as a sales leader. You're going to be telling them the same thing every time. They're not going to be doing it. So you got to make sure that they're bought in and willing to go on the journey with you. I think one thing that makes a really outstanding coach, Sean, is your ability to diagnose. And your ability to diagnose is oftentimes limited by how many calls you can listen to, how many calls you can be on. And this is something that I struggled with a lot when I was coaching SMB sales is I could not possibly be on every call. I can't watch a million SMB calls. But at the same time, I feel like so much of the nuance is lost if I'm looking at sales stage conversion rates, for example. And so when you want to figure out what's going on with a rep, there's the sales stage conversion method. There's the listen to 3000 gong calls method. There's the pipeline review, deal review method. What do you find is the most fruitful source of coaching Intel? Or is it sort of a combination of all of the above? So I think it varies shot by shot. I think one of the biggest hacks that's helped me get really strong in my coaching is been the time that I spend with myself. So I think what, what's interesting is that if I look at my calendar right now and I pull it up for every single week, I've got 30 minutes per rep blocked as one-on-one -on -one prep 
on my calendar. Where if I'm working with Tom, what most managers are going to do is they're going to jump one-on-one to one-on-one to one-on-one to customer call to internal meeting. And they're never going to have time to actually prep for themselves on how they want that one-on-one to go. So what I've done that I feel like has made me successful with this is that before my one-on-ones, I've got time blocked where I can dig into those reports, right? I can listen to gong calls. I can go through their sales stages and where maybe deals are falling out so that I'm able to basically come to my own conclusions about where that rep is struggling week over week so that when I'm meeting with them and I'm aligned, I'm not going in blind to what they may think, right? So I think the prep is a huge thing that people overlook in sales management that I have to be prepared to understand what to coach on, make sure it's the right thing. And then I think to your point, when it comes to every single company, they're going to have different reports and different things in outreach or, you know, sales loft or gone that'll help you come to your conclusions. But I like to start with those big three, right? On sales conversion, contract value, sales cycle, find if they're below the mean or below the average outstandingly from the rest of the team, and then kind of work my way backwards through my own checklist. I'm here like, we got an issue, work backwards, find the root cause get alignment on that issue with the rep, get agreement that they need help. Then you do that in a repeatable process. You know, you're prepping, they're coming to their one-on-one. It's the same, they can expect it. And then you're then transitioning to, now let's go from this being driven by me to let's this be driven by you, Mr. or Miss Rep. Do you have like a story, Sean, or like an illustration of somebody that got it and how it happened? Because like, that's the ultimate is when your rep says to you, hey, I'm prepping a half hour before our one-on-one because I want to tell you about the stuff that I need help with because I know you can help me. I don't always need you to tell me what I need help with. So take me through like a rep or two that you've done that with or like how the process works. Yeah, well, I think the the beauty of the framework in general is that once a rep goes through it a couple of times, to your point, they know what to expect right? Like Mark, I've heard you talk about forecasting calls a ton. And we, we hear this from working together where people come in and they've got everything dialed up. They know what questions you're going to ask and they could come prepared. So once you get reps to go through this a couple of times, let's say Tom knocks it out of the park and starts setting next steps for the next five calls, right? It's not something you need to continue to harp on, but with most reps, they're going to have a myriad of issues of things that they could always get better on. And then you go to the next one. But for this specific story, I had a rep that had a high conversion rate, higher than the rest of the team, was doing great in sales cycle. But the biggest thing is that a lot of his deals were much smaller than the average, right? So our average contract value was around 60 to 70K ARR. And most of his deals were almost half that. So digging in and listening to some of the calls, you know that's going to be an on-call issue as a manager. And when you start listening to the last 10 or 15 minutes, One thing I would say as a manager too, is you don't have to listen to the entire 30 or 60 minute gong call. If you know that issue is contract value, just listen to the section on gong that's highlighted for pricing, right? You know, that's going to be the issue. Normally that's three to five minutes. You can bust out 10 calls in an hour. And so once you listen to that section, we found out that this rep was discounting well before any negotiations were taking place, right? Didn't necessarily feel confident about the pricing that we had. It would say, hey, you know what? Our normal contract values range between 60 to 70,000. But from where you're at, it sounds like you're probably going to need a solution that's around the 30K range, right? And not sticking to the value of the product, automatically dropping down and discounting. And because of that, he had a great conversion rate, was selling deals a little bit faster, but he needed double the amount of deals to get to quota. 
And so because we'd gone through this coaching framework a couple of times, we would show up to the beginning of the month and say, all right, you know what you need to work on? And they're saying, yes, this is the thing I'm working on. This is my contract value stinks. It's half that of the team. What do we need to do? He's bought in. He knows the problem. And then we're able to go through and pinpoint exactly what's influencing that. You're just negotiating yourself out of a deal. You're negotiating yourself out of a contract value. And here's what we need to work on. Let's role play through this. You've got this call on Tuesday. What's your approach? What's your goal? Let's role play. And then I'm delaying that Slack message for five minutes because Armand, like your point, I can't be on every single call. The Slack message automatically comes through and says, hey, how did the last 10 minutes of the pricing call go? What did you find out, right? And then I don't have to remember to exactly do that, but it automatically hits their Slack or their inbox at that time. Dude, this is so smart. And I think one mistake that a lot of managers, leaders make is they're like, we're going to do call reviews. And they spend an hour reviewing a 30-minute call because you're listening to it on 1x speed. You're listening to the whole thing. You're pausing for feedback at each moment. And one of the things that probably helped me similarly the most was being able to slice up a tape review like a turkey as quick as humanly possible. So for example, the other day, I was coaching a founder and we only had seven minutes left in our advisory call. And I was like, hey, I don't know if we're going to have time to go through it, but let's see if we can get to the problem quickly. And I knew he was struggling with discovery. So I skimmed the images of the call and I figured out when he was going to show a demo. And that's when I knew I was going to stop. And it was at the 12 minute mark. So I knew at most it was going to be 12 minutes of discovery. And then I skipped past all of the rapport up front and there was five minutes of rapport. So that leaves really like six to seven minutes left of the part of the call that I know he's going to struggle with because we've already agreed upon that he needs to work on discovery on previous calls. And so I can rip through a 30 minute tape, a 40 minute tape in six minutes or three minutes when it's on 2x speed. And right. you can do 10 of those in a 30-minute one-on-one. So I love what you're doing there, Sean. Same exact thing for managers and role plays, right? If you know its next steps, you do not need to go through a 30-minute role play that includes the disco and the discovery and all, uh, you know, and the demo. It's like, just do the next steps. Role play those five minutes six times, right? And then in that 30-minute session, how much better are they going to get doing it out of six times versus just one time on a 30-minute call? Sean, are you using AI in coaching yet? And it's okay to say no. I'm not, but the way that you ask me means that I probably should be. <laughs> Here it is. It's that time <laughs> of the interview. It's AI. We know the issue is, is even though you're giving a lot of really good guidance on how to find time to coach by cutting out unnecessary things that you're doing that don't help with the specific issue that you're trying to train or coach or help with, a lot of people Sean, aren't going to sit down and prep for half an hour for a one-on-one. They're going to answer yep. emails. Even if it's on their block, they're going to answer emails and get and get on Slack. They're not going to come in with a plan. They're going to come in and be like, well, show me a call. Or they're going to expect their reps to self-diagnose when most reps aren't good with that and don't have the same data that the leader does. So I'm seeing like a couple of things that are happening with AI that I think are really disruptive for coaching. And if you're a rep and you can get good coaching on a daily basis, you have a chance to really quickly improve versus on a weekly basis with a manager. I think that's why one of the things that you're talking about is so important, Sean, which is getting people to do it on their own and creating that culture. So it's more than just a process, it's a culture. 
And I know you were really instrumental with that culture at Outreach. So talk a little bit about like beyond the tactics and the tips, what do you hire for? Like, how do you get people addicted to this getting better? Like, you know, man, we'd show up at 6 a.m. in the outreach office, there'd be 20, 25 reps in there. And all we do is like help each other iron, sharpen iron for a couple hours before the day got started. That wasn't totally organic, but it wasn't totally architected. Like, how are you being more intentional about creating that culture? A lot of it does go into hiring, right? One of the things that we always look for, and I think a, man, a lot of managers can say this is extreme coachability. I think there's no surprise that some of the greatest reps out there were former either athletes or even people that had played an instrument for a long time. People that have spent hours and hours and hours honing their craft, getting specific small feedback to make themselves better is usually a great precursor to somebody that's going to come in and do well in sales. So I think that's something you absolutely hire for. And then to your point, Mark, people want to be challenged in this role without being forced. And I think where that challenge comes from is a manager believing that they're better than they are today. So like I have been fortunate enough, whether it was working for you or Kevin Dorsey or other people in my past, like they've always believed that I was, I was and can be better than I am today, which has inherently motivated me to achieve that. And like, hey, I'm not going to let you down, Mark. Like, I will be better tomorrow than I am today. And part of that challenge comes with that feedback, right? So I think where I've seen, you know, other orgs or other reps that I've worked with have given me some feedback to say like, hey, in my last job, my manager just kind of let me do my own thing, was out on an island. And I think inevitably reps want to be pushed, but they also want to be believed in right? And being told that like, hey, I know you can do this. You're better than you are today. Let's keep coaching you there. So I think part of it is building that individual culture from a frontline manager standpoint, believing in reps, coaching them that they can be better, giving them specific feedback and challenging them. People with that background, with the extreme coachability that you've hired for will become addicted to that. I know I have been, whether it was being a rep, being a manager, being a director, like I want to know what my opportunities are get better. And I know the people that have believed in me and coached me along the way has challenged me and like kept me addicted to that. So there's the magic question of how do you test for coachability in your interview process early on? Yeah. There's always a, a great question that most managers will ask, like, how coachable are you, right? Or give me a piece of feedback that you've, that you've gotten in the last, uh, last role and how have you applied it? And I think all that is well and good. I think if you do ask that question, like, hey, Tell me about your last manager. How did they give you feedback? How do you like to receive feedback? And then tell me how you've implemented that. The reps that I've found during the interview process that have given very specific examples, like, hey, Mark told me that I was struggling with my conversion rate. We boiled that down to setting next steps. And this is how we worked on setting next steps with me. That's going to tell me a lot more than, you know, yeah, they gave me feedback every now and then and kind of giving this ambiguous, vague answer. So that's the first thing. But as part of our interview process, even here at Webflow, we do a role play round. They have to role play part of the discovery. We ask their feedback. We give them feedback. And what I'm really looking for, and this may be a hack for people that are going to listen to this, is do they ask to do it again? Right? So I'm more in tuned with the people that take the feedback and say, hey, thanks so much for that feedback. Can I try it again? Right? Because a role play is never that fun. It's never that easy. But I want the people that are going to get feedback on how to do it and then want to do it again. That for me is a big precursor to somebody that's going to come into the role 
and say like, hey, I, I got knocked off the horse, but I want to get back on. Right. So that's a big thing that we're looking for. So what's what's interesting is when I think about some of the top reps that I hired at pay, we would always have the mock discovery call as a test. And a lot of times a mock discovery call can be a false positive or a false negative. Sometimes the environment is really uncomfortable. If you're having them sell your product, they might not understand it or they might not be, they might take a little bit longer to learn, but once they're ramped, they're going to be 10 out of 10. There are so many things that could be false positives or false negatives. They could be really good at mocks, for example. I know there are reps who are really good in the practice room and then they freeze in front of a deal. But one thing's for sure. Anytime a rep was like a yellow light, not a green light, but we were like, there's something here, like everything else seemed really good. We would run back the mock discovery again. We would give them a week to prepare, get ready for it. And anytime a rep aced it the second time, I have never had that rep not be a top rep every single time. So much so that we almost always considered doing two mock discos. We didn't want to do that because it would lengthen the interview process, but you're totally right on that. You can engineer coaching or even take a piece of the mock and have them redo it again as part of your interview process. And the second pass around is the best way to see if someone is actually coachable. 100%. And to your point about delaying the hiring process, like I would rather always, always, always take that extra week or two and hire slow and make sure that they're the right people. Because nothing makes your life easier as a sales manager than having great people on your team. If you hire great people who want to be coached and want to get better and want to be challenged and hit their numbers, nothing makes your life easier. So I'd much rather take the extra week, confirm it that way, and then, yeah, set yourself up for success. Can we go back to the topic of self-diagnosing? Because both you and Mark have hit on this, that reps aren't great at it. And Sean, earlier on in the prep, you were talking about how you can motivate people to do things themselves, coach themselves, etc. And I think as a rep, I didn't have a great first manager, so I had to learn about what to look for to coach myself. But even for me, a pretty metrics-driven guy, I would find that I wouldn't know what I was doing wrong unless someone else was looking at me. So how do you coach your reps to coach themselves? Or do you think that's a complete waste of time and that's your job entirely? Yeah, so it's a great question. I think with that, reps have to know what's coming first and foremost, right? So I think to teach anybody to coach themselves, they have to be taught how to look internally and self-diagnose, right? So doing this enough times, they're going to learn what that framework and what that process looks like. I, I think back, you know, Nick Saban just retired, but one of the best coaches out there. And he talks a lot about wide receivers running routes. So he knows the end goal is that you have to get open, right? You got a 15-yard slant route, you got to get open. But the way that he's coaching is doing the minuscule things along that route to help yourself get open, right? So you have to make this cut in two yards and you got to dig your right foot in the ground here at this point. And then at the you know 10 yards, you got to cut hard left. And so he's coaching the reps to focus on the small things. And when he's running those wide receivers through enough iterations of that, they start to pick it up of like, oh yeah, these are the things that are going to influence the outcome of me being open and me being able to catch this ball. And I think about that the same way in coaching a rep is that the first time you're finding out like, hey, they need to be setting next steps. They're probably not going to know how you worked backwards to get to that issue. But as you start working with them month over month, quarter over quarter, 
eventually they should start to pick up, hey, these are the tiny things that I'm doing that influence the outcomes, right? So maybe it even comes down to is minuscule of a thing of like, hey, I'm sending out the right sequences, but I'm sending them out to the wrong people. And that's why my meetings are low. And that is a minuscule thing that is the exact like company size or the wrong persona that I'm sending these sequences to. And so once you go through this framework enough, and they know what to look for. The goal is that they show up to these meetings and they say, hey, I'm struggling with sales cycle and it's all because it's taking me way too long to set up an initial meeting or to see that meeting through. And they can kind of learn how to self-diagnose themselves. And back to our coaching part before, if they are intrinsically motivated and getting challenged and wanting to be better, they should hopefully buy into this aspect that they're going to be working on small things as their time as a rep to get them to the end stage of them being successful. Awesome. Well, Sean, we talked about a ton of good habits that leaders can practice. I love some of the stuff you had around coaching. And now we have to talk about a bad habit. And I think I know what you're going to say. But what is one bad habit that every sales leader in the world should break, throw in the trash today to make the world a better place? Yes, please stop trying to motivate your sales reps through fear and money. These are extrinsic motivators. When you motivate somebody by saying, hey, you're going to make X amount of dollars or you're going to lose your job, that is going to cause burnout. It's going to cause frustration. It's going to cause disconnect in the relationship. What you should focus on is the intrinsic motivator. So people wanting to get better, wanting to serve their prospects or their company, wanting to make a valued impact in what they're doing that's going to motivate somebody to want to be coached, to continue to show up as opposed to just, hey, I'm doing my job so that I don't get fired. Yeah, stop motivating people through fear and money. Boom. Well, I was going to try to scare people into listening to the recap afterwards, but I'm not going to do that today, folks. Sean, this was an outstanding interview. To praise y'all with honey, if you want to hear the Mark and Mondo recap afterwards, we're going to recap all the amazing things that came up from this interview. Cheers, folks. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect 
any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. All righty, Mark, what'd you think? Listen, my man, Sean brought it. I mean, I think that there's some real tactical stuff in there, but I think the thing I take away from it that challenges me is, am I putting time on my calendar to actually prep and have meetings go the way I want to, or am I just showing up and hoping I can wing my way to it? And that level of intentionality helps you be super successful. And I think that it's it's just a great reminder for all of us. Yeah, I, I think the mistake that you can fall into is thinking that you're developing your reps because you show up for 30 minutes or 60 minutes every single week and you happen to be physically present with that rep. But a lot of those one-on-ones, I think back 10 minutes of it is really just gaining context. And that's a waste of their time and mine. And I almost wish that I did a bi-weekly one-on-one, a, week, a one-on-one every other week and spent that extra time prepping and actually developing my point of view instead of doing discovery work to figure out what we're going to talk about in the first place. The other one that I really, really loved is when you have that prep, what you can do is he does the similar to KD, the rapid fire practice. He'll rip through 10 gong calls and only do the last five minutes of the gong call every single time. And the reason for that is because he's done the prep. He knows exactly where to zero in. So you can actually get 5x the productivity in a one-on-one versus just sitting there reviewing one call, figuring out what to talk about. Yeah. Cool. Well, alrighty, folks, go connect with Sean on LinkedIn. And if you like this one, stay tuned for the next episode of the Leadership Edition. Cheers, folks. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, Pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.